You're listening to The Collected Podcast, bringing you stories that remind us who God is and who we are in Him. The Collected Podcast is a production of Collected Ministries. Follow Collected on social media at Collected Podcast. And be sure to visit thecollectedpodcast.com for show notes and additional content related to today's episode. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 12 of The Collected Podcast. I'm your host, Jess Biondo, and this week I'm bringing you in a, a conversation with Kyle Johnson. He is the Executive Chef at Community Matters Cafe here in Uptown, and that is just an incredible ministry, and he'll tell you all about that, I'm sure. Um, so, Kyle, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thank you all for having me. Excited yeah. to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. Um, And as we get started, I was wondering if you could share a little bit about how you came to know the Lord and how you ended up doing what you're doing now. Yeah, so I, you know, I kind of feel like I had the very boring standard, you know, uh, growth within my faith. Um, You know, I didn't have that, you know, big revival story or anything, but, you know, grew up in a, originally from New Orleans, grew up in a really big family. I'm one of six. Um, from two loving parents and you know just we were raised in a Christian household um, you know taught all the principles what it was um, and the big thing that we had was we were homeschooled so you know my parents had a lot of time and ability to really pour into us um, the best way that they felt was to teach us you know our understanding of the gospel mm-hmm. the gospel and the word and a re- personal relationship with God and Jesus Um and we were able to hone in on that. Um, so, you know, grew up like just very um, religiously structured. So like, you know, uh, I read, I probably read the Bible a couple of times by the time I was like 14 or 15, yes. uh, all the way through, um, was big into theology and still very big into theology, but, you know, very strongly studied it um, um, throughout like middle school, throughout high school. Um, the curriculum that we did was Christian based. So, um, just a lot of theological foundation in that. Um, and so, you know, that structure and foundation was always there, um, just from my upbringing. And I would say probably getting into college, you know, it was the first time I moved away from home. I was the first, I'm number three out of the children. So kind of the middle child. And I was the first to, the first and only child to move out of state for school. I moved to up here to Charlotte, North Carolina, studied culinary arts at Johnson and Wales. And I would say that was probably like the time where like the relationship really felt real with me, my relationship with Jesus, um, because it was very not, I was out of my general comfort zone of what it was. I didn't have my parents like immediately there to, oh, I mean, obviously we can always call, but like to ask questions or to really overview me from like decisions and ways of thinking. And it was all like very much right there in front of me to make decisions. Um, And so I guess kind of just seeing that really put me in a place of, you know, forcing myself to be in a personal and strong relationship with the Lord and, you know, having to make hard decisions of, well, is, is this what God wants me to be doing right now? Is this, um, do I feel like I'm moving in this direction? And I, my professional career kind of started off at a very young age um, in terms of, you know, making decisions about my professional career. Cause I, I started culinary school when I was 12. Um, oh, yeah. Um, I guess that's the beauty of homeschooling. It is. It is yeah. a lot to be able to do a lot of extracurriculars. Um, and so, and I, the school I went to, um, was a very, um, very professional level 
um, of study within all the arts. It's called NOCA in New Orleans. And they, you can go for a bunch of different arts, media, dance, drama, um, and acting, set design, creative writing, film, all those things. A lot of the most famous artists from New Orleans went through this high school, like John Batiste, Harry Connick Jr., the Marsalis family, Anthony Mackie. Um, so I went for culinary and um, they did the Johnson Wells curriculum because the, the arts program was created by Emeril Lagasse. Um, so wow. I had what would have been a bachelor's in culinary arts by the time I got to my junior year of high school. Oh my gosh. Um, That's amazing. It, it's pretty cool, but that really just set the tone for my professional development. So by the time I got to college, I did a lot of fast track programming. So I got my bachelor's degree in about two and a half to three years. Um, so I was very much on the track of like, all right, so what's the next move? And since it wasn't a standard, like standard practice or flow of, you know, of like that, of that life, it was, you know, all right, I've done all this already. So now what am I supposed to do? I find myself having to trust in God of, all right, am I making the right decision here? Is this what you want? Is this your vision that you have for me? And just that kind of pressure in itself just kind of forced me in a position to, you know, be more intentional about my relationship with God. So I'll say around like 2021 is where I was like, took my faith on a non just, okay, this is like what my family does. And this mm. is what I just grew up doing, but this is something that's actually real and makes a difference in my life and it makes a difference in the life of others around me. Yeah. Well, and discovering something you're so passionate about and that is now your career at such a young age Along the way, did you ever like question this path that you're on, or was it always like this is it? This is what I'm doing. Um, Maybe a little bit. When I say early on, I mean really early on. So maybe like 14 or 15. I'm like, oh man, do I do I really want to be like cooking professionally? Um, Because I did other stuff. So I was a I was a pretty good baseball player, Um, but I you know had a slew of injuries over like a three year span and. Uh, I was doing cooking at the same time too. And so I wanted to really focus on one because, you know, I was playing at a decent level. So if I wanted to jump to the next level, maybe looking at it for college, I need to focus a lot of time and energy on it. Yeah. Um, And I got, I broke my thumb my freshman year. And then my sophomore year, I got cartilage damage in my wrist. Um, And to rehab that and then get back up to speed on that skill level would have taken a whole lot of time. Yeah. and so I focused on culinary and I remember the point where I wondered, like the exact point when I wondered, hmm, is this something I actually like want to do or is there something else for me? There is a documentary called, uh, oh, I think I might get the first name wrong, but I think it's Hero Dreams of Sushi. Okay. It is a documentary about a master Japanese sushi chef in Japan who runs a three Michelin star restaurant that's literally just like a little room. And I think he fits like 10 people at a time. And he's considered the greatest sushi chef in the world. And he's like this 89-year-old man. And his whole life is just centered around the mastery of sushi. From what he eats himself, where he grows, where the rice is grown, where the fish is caught, what the fish are eating, what time he cuts the fish, what's the temperature in the room when he cuts the fish, all these things. He's the only one who's allowed to touch the fish. His son, who's been his apprentice, I think for he said for like 50 or 60 years, his son won't be allowed to do what he does till he dies. Like that's the only way he'll be allowed to do it. 
And like, that's how long the apprenticeship is until the master dies. Wow. And so I'm a very, I'm very dedicated to what I do and I'm very meticulous about what I do. Um, I get hyper-focused on things. Um, so I, I took culinary so seriously. I still take it very seriously. When I was young, I took it. It was everything to me. So when I saw that documentary, I looked at that. I'm like, man, I don't think I have that level of focus or that level of desire to make it all of my life all about that. Yeah. And so it made me question, do I love culinary that much? Do I love anything that much? I remember feeling almost depressed at 15 years old watching yeah. the documentary in my school. My, my teacher was showing the documentary to us in the school. And I'm like, man, I don't know if I love anything that much. And so I remember I took probably two or three weeks where every single day I would take potatoes and onions from school and I would practice my knife cuts every single day straight for two or three weeks, probably an hour every single day to see if like I had to drive there to do it. And I did, and I was able to do it. And so I probably for three to four days a week, most weeks throughout the year between age of 13 to sophomore year of college, I would take, I would practice my knife cuts on potatoes and onions. Wow. And master the little things of consistency, knife cuts, measurements and stuff like that. And then after a while I came to realization, like I don't need to be at this level of dedication and love of something to like, I mean this, like I said, this man's entirety of his life was just about the mastery of making sushi. Nothing else almost really matters. Like if you look at the way he talking to his son, it was like his son was nothing more than an apprentice. I'm sure he loved his son, but his son was an apprentice to him. His son wasn't like, his job wasn't to make his son a good man or to make sure his son knew how to raise his children. His job was, I want to make my son a master at making sushi too. Yeah. And so I'm like, I don't need to be at that level to love what I'm doing. And I also don't need to follow the standard practice of the culinary industry of, you know, working in fine dining and being a line cook or a comey for so many years before I become a demi-chef, before I then become a sous chef and then a chef de cuisine and a CDC and an executive chef. And I'm 40, 50 years old and I finally become an executive chef or something. Like it took me a couple of years to realize that that wasn't, didn't have to be everybody's route to be a master mm -hmm. or dedicated to their craft of what they were doing. But at 15, that was the one time where I'm like, man, do I really want to do, do I want it that bad? Yeah. Wow. And just your dedication to that, I feel like is so inspiring for anybody listening who, you know, even if they're not trying to be a chef, which I'd imagine most of our listeners aren't, but oh. it applies to this idea of like, God is so creative and he's given each of us these unique gifts and passions that we can use to serve him, but sometimes it requires this level of dedication. And we're in this place of like, Lord, is this, is this right? Is this the path you have for me? Do I want to give what I know would be required to do this with excellence? Yeah. And I think there's somebody out there who is asking that question, like they feel like God is requiring something of them that feels hard that feels beyond maybe what they have on their own that they can give. So what encouragement might you have for somebody who's in that place of just wrestling with like, God, you're asking so much of me 
and I don't know if I can do it. It's this is the moments where you have to have faith. Mm. Um, I think we look at it. I find it so funny. I remind myself this a lot of time. I remind a lot of my um, employees and the students that I work with a lot of the time that, you know, don't ask God for something if you're not prepared to deal with the things that it takes to get it. So if you pray to God for patience, God's not just going to, it's not a like, you know, like where God's talking to Solomon in a dream and he just grants you with something. Mm-hmm. You know, if you ask God for patience, God's probably going to send people or things in your life that'll test your patience to grow. If you ask for more faith, God will test, give you things to help strengthen your faith. Things that strengthen your faith are things that causes doubt and makes you be faithful. You know, if you pray to God for, you know, and this isn't always how it works, but, you know, if you may pray for God for more mental stability or, you know, um, or for that better job that you really like, or, you know, to, hey, God, or something as like, hey, God, I want to be able to run a mile, right? There's there's work and effort, you know, mm-hmm. faith. The Lord says faith isn't just by works alone. And I think people get over the part where it says works alone. There is work that still goes into it. Yeah. You know, you, there's, it's not all one-sided. Um, I think God is the blessing of, you know, the blessing of God and Jesus is that they carry a lot of that burden that we would have to otherwise, but there is a level of, okay, now us as, as a people need to make the decision. Do we want to make this change in our life? Do we want to mm. um, grow in this? You know, do we want what we're even asking for? Are yeah. we in a place of preparation of what we're asking for? Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of my parents instilled us a lot of principles that we follow by um, one, a, a couple of them. One of them is practice makes permanent, not perfect. Um, Cause if you practice doing something the wrong way, multiple times, you're not going to do it perfectly. You're going to do it the wrong way because that's what you practice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, um, words matter, you know, um, death and life is in the power of the tongue, you know, speaking, you know, God is so intentional about the words that he speaks mm-hmm. and the power of words um, so speak love, speak life, not just into others, but also into yourself. Yeah. So positive reinforcement, but also honesty. I'm not going to lie to myself. So I don't have to be like, you know, there was, you know, I, I wasn't great. I wasn't this savant when I started cooking at 12. Like it was, you know, and I, in New Orleans, like I grew up with a lot of people that were really, really talented and a lot better than me. Uh, when I went to start school, there's a lot of kids that were already working in like in restaurants at like 13, 14, 15 years old. Some of their parents owned restaurants, which wasn't uncommon at all. Um, and I came in, you know, just cause I was interested. So I had no prior culinary knowledge for real. Um, so I, I had to, you know, really like ask myself, you know, am I willing to work as hard as it takes to get to this level that I want to, or am I just going to kind of like, look around at the people around me and be like, ah, oh, no, nah, I'm not, I'm not as good as them. And that just is what it is. Um, but being able to, you know, not, not give the negative self-talk of, oh, I'm not as good as them. I'll never be as good as them. But positive reinforcement would be, I'm not as good as them yet. What can I now do to make myself as good as them or make myself the best of what I can be? Um, because I'm in the mentality of you're only in competition with yourself every day to make yourself better than you were yesterday at something. And so you don't need it. You know, you don't need to look at anybody else's paper or what everybody else is doing. 
um, God's vision of your greatness isn't always what everybody else's is. Mm. So me doing really good at what I'm doing may not be Gordon Ramsay or Emeril Lagasse or John Cusser or, or, you know, Jose Andreas or any of these guys who we consider some of the best chefs in the world, right? If I'm comparing myself to them, there's a chance I may never get to that level. And that's, then I should be okay with that. Yeah. Um, but what is the plan that God has for me and what am I doing to get to that place? And part of it is just discovering what that plan is God has for you, falling in line of what it, what it takes to get there and then staying successful again, success in his eyes, not the world's eyes or man's eyes, but staying successful once you get to that point. And then the most important part in my eyes is then what are you doing to help people that were behind you to make their journey easier or not necessarily easier, but more attainable, more accessible than may yeah. have been before. Mm, that is so good. And listeners, those all those tips will be typed up in the show notes. So <laughs> you can refer back to the blog to access all of that again if you're driving and weren't able to take notes on all that because that's so good and so applicable to whatever challenge you're facing or whatever passion you're trying to pursue. And I feel like there's someone out there that needs to hear that through Christ, you can do harder things than you're giving yourself credit for. And sometimes we sell ourselves short because we we just don't think we're capable and we don't believe that God will work through us. And maybe the root of it is we really don't believe that God is fully capable. Yet I want someone out there to hear God is more capable than we can ever imagine. And He is so good to use us in His plan when we're open to it and willing to go down a hard path with him sometimes. Um, sorry, I got really fired up. No, no, yes, absolutely. yes, Kyle, yeah. preach. Um, <laughs> so you now work at Community Matters, yeah. and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what that is and how you ended up there and just what your because now it's also not just a job, but I'd imagine more of a ministry as well. Um, so if you can tell us a little about a little about Community Matters Cafe. Absolutely. So Community Matters Cafe is a extension of the Charlotte Rescue Mission, which is a nonprofit organization that works with men and women in Charlotte who are going through substance abuse and addiction. So it is a um, all-encompassing recovery program for men and women to become physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually right with their sobriety. Mm-hmm. Um, because it takes away all those things addiction does. Yeah. So it's a six-month program that um, houses and works with people throughout throughout for their sobriety. It gives them connection with mental and physical health and recovery, um, gives them therapy, gives them uh, counselors, um, physical health people to get them back right um, for those six months. And then after they finish that six-month program, um, what it was is they would, they would graduate. There was a couple of like aftercare programs where if they wanted to go back to school or go directly back into work, it could kind of like funnel them in through that. And so after, and it's this company's been, we just celebrated our, ooh, they're going to get mad at me if I say this wrong, 90th, 85th. We just celebrated our 85th year of Charlotte Rescue Mission being open. Wow. Um, and so, uh, after so long, because at first it just started as a homeless shelter. And then in the 80s and 90s, they realized that the root of a lot of the homelessness was addiction. So that's when it turned from a homeless shelter to a sobriety clinic. Um, and so in 20, 
six, 2017, they discovered the higher percentage of, um, uh, people maintaining the higher percentage of people not maintaining their sobriety after leaving the program. And they discovered that it was a lot of it was rooted into, there was not really a segue or smooth transition for the students after they finish, you know, six months isn't a long time, um, for your initial sobriety, you know, the majority of, um, the, uh, residents that go through a program, this is their first time being clean in their life. And the youngest age we allow them to program is 18. And then there's no, um, limit to, um, the age after that. Um, but the average age of most of our men and women who start, um, ex- were first exposed to hard drugs or alcohol was about 11 or 12. Um, they became consistent users by the time they were 13 and the average age of them being full on addicts is about 14 and 15 years old. Mm-hmm. So if you have someone who's in their forties or fifties, this might be the first six months, that they, the longest that they've been clean since they were literally children. Wow. Um, so as you can imagine, you know, six months in retrospect is both a long time and not a long time at all. So yeah. after that transitional program of being, or after that time of being, you know, literally surrounded only by people who are in sobriety and only by people that are actively trying to help you with your sobriety and then just being thrown into what we call the real world and where everyone else around you really doesn't care too much about your sobriety. It's just like, we need you to be functioning members of society and work and, you know, do this and don't get in trouble. And they've only known one thing for the majority of their life. That's a very hard ask. A lot of them have no idea how to function in this world without the use of drugs or alcohol. Yeah. Um, and so with that, they want to come up with a, a transitional program to better help and better prepare the students for that. So they came with the idea of the Community Matters Cafe. So in 2018, they broke ground um, on the same on the same plot of land as the Charlotte Rescue Mission where the men's shelter is on uh, West First and Cedar Street, right behind the Panther Stadium. So it is a full service cafe and restaurant. Um, that is attached with a life skills program. So the men and women, after they do their six months of rehabilitation, they have the choice of joining our life skills program where they relearn um, life skills, which we would call like proper communication, learning to manage your stress, um, you know, better equipping to handle um, confrontation or negative thoughts and emotions, um, working with people that um, you may not like, conflict resolution, all of these little day-to-day things that we go about and function with that might cause somebody who's going through recovery to slip up or resort back to drugs or alcohol. Mm. So we, this is a classroom setting of classes that we teach for the, with these students for those six months because the life skills program will be an additional six months while they're also doing that. They're actively working in our cafe and uh, cafe program. So full service cafe and restaurant. And for those six months, each student will rotate into every single different department that we have. So barista server, busser, host, um, dishwasher, line cook, prep cook, pastry assistant. And what makes it different is each manager or staff member is kind of working as an educator towards them. So we're training them in these different departments of how to do the actual job and task at a high level. But at the same time, we take the time and effort for when it's a restaurant, there's an, there's stress everywhere. There's an inevitable conflict that's going to happen, whether it's another staff member, another student, um, a, a guest, it may be a student fault, it may be a guest fault, it doesn't matter. Stuff's always going to happen. And so what we do is we take this time to reutilize those life skills and to bring them back in to the equation of their life. So it's not like, oh, 
this happened, boom, you're done. It's, hey, okay, let's pause what's going on. Let's walk through this. What's making you stressed out? Why did you react the way that you react? Um, let's go back into our steps, right? Could we have done this differently? So really focusing on their growth, their mental, spiritual, and emotional health um, and seeing where these issues may lie and showing them the areas of where they can grow um, and just kind of using like our professional skills and gifts within culinary and hospitality to, to do that, even though this thing's transitioned into deeper than just working within hospitality. So they do that for six months. Uh, while they do that, they get certification like serve safe, uh, other testing within hospitality that helps qualify them for things. Um, we're taking care of their room and board. So they're, we're housing them. We're giving them weekly stipends. We're helping take care of medical and legal issues that they may be in. Um, and bus fare while also just helping them grow in these areas for those six months. After those six months, we help them find aftercare living, whether it's, you know, sobriety living where they're basically in a regular apartment, except everyone in this apartment complex is also sober and going through sobriety. Um, we help them if they want to go back to school. We have an, we have another school program that helps them transition into um, um, either uh, uh, either full university or community college. Um, we have other work programs. We want to transition them into that. Um, and then we before that, we help them with like job interviewing and training um, and things of that sort. So we really just try to fully equip these men and women to enter society in a healthy way where they feel prepared, where they're not going with fear or panic, uh, the unknown of what am I to expect now? I haven't been normal for so much amount of time to prove to them and show them that they have the full capabilities of living in this world in sobriety and in our namesake, knowing that there's always a community backing them up and supporting them. Wow. And if you are in the Charlotte area, you have to check this place out. It's so cute inside too. Like it's an amazing space, such a good ambiance. The food is fantastic. I've thank been you. there many times. So I guess we have you to thank for that. Thank um, yeah. So if you are in Charlotte or passing through Charlotte, you have to stop. It's so, so wonderful. It's a great spot. Um, so as you've been doing this and walking alongside of people, you know, on their road to recovery and, um, you know, seeing people maybe walking through some of the hardest struggles of their life. And um, I'm just wondering, like, what characters of God have you seen as he's also fighting for these people? And um, I don't I don't know if that question makes sense, but like, as you've been working in this role and seeing God transforming people's lives through mm -hmm. Community Matters and through the program and through the Charlotte Rescue Mission and just through His grace, um, what have you learned about His character? I would say, so, <laughs> it's funny. So, I, I'm a huge fan of biblical stories. I think biblical stories are kind of overlooked sometimes and just in the, in the actual quality of the stories that yeah. they are. So I like to draw parallels a lot into my experiences and then what I've read in the Bible. Mm. So one thing that I've kind of, two, two characters in the Bible that I've kind of drawn as inspiration um, into my daily walk and like what this season of my life has brought is King David and Esther. So mm. uh, for King David, it's that no matter what came up, it showed even in little tasks, how God prepared him for the bigger moment. Ooh, of things yeah. so you know 
God, David didn't know God was preparing him to be king, but David was, you know, herding sheep at like 10 years old. Mm. You know, David didn't know God was preparing him to fight battles against giants and militaries much bigger than him. But David was killing lions and bears as a 13 year old. Yeah. Um, And on top of that, you know, you know, we see David in all of his glory. And God said, I'm a man after your your man after my own heart. Like, you know, one of the high, highest praised men you could find in the Bible. And David messed up a lot. You know, David, you know, was a murderer. David stole a man's wife. David questionably wasn't a great father. You know, his children did a lot of messed up things. Yeah. Um, but amidst all that, you know, David still had forgiveness. He still had retro- He still had uh, redemption. Um, and there was never a point where God turned his head towards David. You know, there was repercussions for his sins. There was, you know, there was justice to the negative things and the bad things that David made decisions to do. But God never turned his face towards David, even in the moments where David turned his face towards God. Um, so I look at that in both the, my walk and the walk with the students. Because, um, you know, our, a lot of our students weren't always good people, right? They didn't always make good decisions. Um, and that's all people, right? Yeah. You know, we go through seasons and changes of life. Um, and a lot of them feel like they're not deserving of this second, third, fourth, fifth, 10th chance that they've been given. Um, but to be able to watch them grow in a relatively short amount of time from these, you know, huge areas of like, of disparity from like, I was once here, you know, we had one student because one of our current students I was talking to who was telling me just how happy he was to be here because he said a year ago he was sleeping in a trash can. Wow. And now, like he says, and he's talked to his daughter for the first time in years, like she was willing to have a relationship with him. And, you know, that he's like, he has a stable job and he's enjoying life. Right. He says he never would have thought he would have made it to this point from the decisions that he's made in his past. Um, And then me personally, I really have a, one of, probably my favorite biblical story is the story of Esther, mm-hmm. um, which I like. <laughs> I wish people understood how how awesome just Esther was as a person and how strong of a character that she was. Like you know, I think when we look at you know we look at David, we look at Samson, um, Elijah is like you know uh, John the Baptist is like you know these you know strong characters and warriors and this and that like. David was one poor girl, an orphan, who literally was holding, you know, the safety of the entire nation of Israel in her hand. Mm. And I love Esther. Right? Yeah, she's one of my favorites, one of my favorite Bible characters. She never shied away from the moment because she did two things. She listened and she never reacted out of fear. Mm. So I always try to try to draw that into my life. Uh, am I listening to like she always listened to her uncle, or I guess really her cousin, um, and like listened to his his sage advice, was prepared for the moment, never reacted, you know, out of fear. One of the principles that my parents taught me was in moments of stress, fear or anxiety, you will not do what you want to do. You'll do what you know how to do. Ooh. So. Because generally you just react in moments of fear, stress, or anxiety. 
right? You So if I use this example, so I've never been in a fight before. If suddenly the situation comes up for me to fight, I'm not going to turn to Bruce Lee. I'm going to do what I know how to do, which is A, run, or B, get beat up. <laughs> or start chopping potatoes. Or, or chop potatoes. <laughs> um, so, and it goes back to the other principle of practice makes permanent, mm-hmm. right? Like Esther practiced a lot of those things. She practiced on listening and being obedient. Um, she was knowledgeable, you know, when the, when the um, king's men took her and they put all the women through the training processes and stuff. She was, it was basically school. She was a top student in like, in her knowledge of history and reading and art um, and politics. And that showed in those moments, she knew how to, you know, expose, uh, what was his name? Heyman. Heyman. Yeah. Heyman. She, knew how, she knew how to expose Heyman. She knew, you know, the right ways of like how to talk to the king. She knew when to take risk, right? Mm-hmm. So she was like perfect in strategy. She wasn't just like, some weak young woman who was pretty, was a pretty face and got away with, you know, with, cause of that. Cause like Mordecai told her this and she's like, Oh yeah. I'm just, no, she was very smart. She was intentional. She was strategic. Um, and she made decisions even possibly at her, at her own against her own, um, safety yeah. for the betterment of her people and the greater for, for people around her and see how that worked out for her. That literally like one of the starts of a line going to Christ. Um, so, and I try to run that parallel through my life, especially within the cafe of, you know, being humble, like, am I listening to, um, what's going on around me, both positive and negative and how am I reacting to those things? Like, am I just running through life aimlessly right now? Or am I being intentional in Mm. decisions that I'm making, um, in what I'm doing, what I'm doing, how that affects people, um, especially when it comes to this, because how I talk to somebody you know, everybody has to make their own decision, but how I talk to somebody at, at my cafe can be a deciding factor of their sobriety sometimes, which goes into their livelihood. Yeah. So if I'm coming in because I'm angry or upset about something and I decide to take that out on one of my students because they frustrated me, then that's, you know, I'm, I'm conscious. I'm now making a decision that's affecting somebody else's life because I decide to think of myself in that moment. Mm. So uh, I like to draw into that and just, you know, use that as kind of motivation each day too, that I'm always doing something for a bigger picture. Like Esther, like I said, Esther didn't know that she was about to save all of the Jewish nation. Yeah. She didn't know that she was about to litter. She was like the line, like her survival was going into the line of, you know, lineage to Christ. She didn't know any of those things. Yeah. But the, and she, even by the time she died, she didn't know those things. Right. Yeah. But things always fall into a bigger picture. Mm, and God is always at work behind the scenes. One thing I learned about the book of Esther is it's the only book in the Bible that never actually says the name of God. And yet his fingerprints are all over it. But like, no names of God are used. God is never mentioned. Never knew that. But I mean, he is behind the scenes on every little thing. And so sometimes in our lives, like we feel like, God, where are you? And he's just whispering, I'm here. I'm behind the scenes. I've got this. Um, So we are almost out of time, but I want to ask you two more questions. One, um, what is a blue skies dream? Or what does that mean? And as we were emailing, you mentioned a blue skies dream for your life and career. What is that? What is that? 
a blue scribe's dream is basically like a pipe dream or like best case scenario, like, you know, yes. what would you want in life? Like, what would you want to happen? Like, you know, nothing holding you back. What is, what is your like perfect dream scenario of your life or your career, whatever it may be? Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Okay. So what is yours? My blue skies dreams right now, because it's changed multiple times, yeah. is I want to eventually be able to, where I don't know, I want to open a school um, mm. because the culinary school I went to just played such a huge effect in my life that I want to open a school, like a training center for um, young boys and girls who are either in impoverished areas or in neighborhoods where they wouldn't have the access otherwise to be to make like choices of their dreams or to see other goals that they might have. So I want to kind of create like a similar to the cafe, like a life skills training center um, for young boys and girls uh, specific towards culinary. That's what I'm thinking right now. Cause that's my, what my talent is in um, to expose them to all these different avenues of hospitality and culinary that they can enter into. Uh, Cause I think a big problem that we have in uh, a lot of areas, especially like poor neighborhoods, is a lot of a lack of access and exposure mm. to opportunities that are out there for people. Yeah. What, what can you dream of if you don't know it's capable to be dreamt? Right. So, um, you know, just like the different avenues of food that you have. I mean, you can not just be a chef, but you can be a food writer and a food blogger. You can be a food photographer. You can um, be a traveler. Um, you can food media. Um, I mean, there's a slew. Uh, you know, a critic, whatever. Yeah. So I want to just be able to expose that and be able to grant that ability for um, young boys and girls to be able to have. That is amazing. Well, I see you excelling at that and God just using you in powerful ways to change the lives of so many kids. Um, so my last question is very vague, but what did I miss or what final thoughts do you want to leave us with today? Maybe a final word of encouragement or, um, challenge for our listeners. Yeah, I would say, you know, words of encouragement is even in the worst times or the worst days, you know, and you know, when you're, when you are like waking up in the morning, just dreading. Always look back and think of the other worst days you've been through and realize that you survived that. Mm. God was with you every step of the way there. Um, he's And he hasn't left yet. Just because yeah. tough times are still there, he hasn't left. But try to find the joy in things. Um, one, one way that I love looking at it is I'm a big fan of anime and cartoons. I'm a nerd at heart. And there's a production company called Studio Ghibli. Um, that produces like uh, anime movies and shows and whatnot. But the focus of them is just everyday things. And just, he makes them look beautiful. Like a whole show, you may just like be a mom, like cooking in her kitchen or gardening and it's mundane, but it's like the colors are beautiful. And, you know, the sounds are just like, you know, uh, what's the word? Uh, I can't figure out the word it is, but just like artistically gratifying to see and hear. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people love, I mean, they're world renowned, but the biggest thing is, is like, you can live in a Studio Ghibli movie, just like love the everyday things that you're mm -hmm. doing. Like wake up in the morning and you see the sunshine. That's beautiful. Right. Yeah. You, you know, look for the small, beautiful things in life that's going on around you every single day and find joy in those little things and everything else just kind of starts, starts to like draw together. 
I love that. That's perfect. Thank you so much, Kyle. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. What an amazing conversation with Kyle. I loved hearing the passion that he has for what the Lord has called him to and just this creative outlet that he's also using for this incredible ministry to change people's lives in our city of Charlotte here. Um, So again, like I said, if you're in Charlotte, go check out Community Matters Cafe, delicious food, amazing workspace too. If you wanna just go hang out there, get some work done, order some coffee um, and a snack, I highly recommend it. Um, Toward the end there, Kyle mentioned Esther, and I just wanted to share a few other thoughts. I did the Bethmore Esther study a few years back and then did it again. I mean, it's one of my favorites. And in there, she talks about how Esther did not fulfill her little girl dreams, but she did fulfill her God-given destiny and how sometimes our lives can look so different from anything we ever expected, but none of it is a surprise to God. And He can use every part of your story for His plan and to accomplish His purpose. And... um, At one point in the study, Beth says, you cannot amputate your history from your destiny, meaning that everything you've gone through, every hardship, every struggle can be used by God for the glory of His kingdom. And that is His redemption, that we can't become the person we're meant to be without every part of our story, even the bad parts. God can use those for his good and his glory and for your good and for the saving of other people. Um, So our stories aren't just for ourselves. They're to proclaim God's name and to draw others toward him and to show them who he is and how we have overcome because of him and through him. Um, So the I don't know. The Lord will never never leave us hanging, even when things seem confusing or dark or scary. The Lord is near and He will use every part of your story to accomplish His plans for you um, and for His kingdom. So I hope that is a little bit of encouragement for you today. I hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Collected Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you'd help spread the word. Check back here for new episodes dropping every other Thursday. You can follow along on social media at Collected Ministries. 